check the mic and make sure it sound right, boys. Episode 239, Freedom. This is going to be a very emotional episode for me, one that I am looking forward to, and I will explain in a few moments. In the last, uh, I would say, month, month and a half, I've had several conversations with several co-workers, friends, and the topic of conversations have been the following, the issue with Cuba, policing in general, and Black Lives Matter. I don't think that they changed their position, and I know that I didn't change mine. But one thing that I did come to realize is that the plight of Cuba and the story of Cuba is not very well understood by anyone outside of the Cuban community. There's a lot of reasons for that, which we'll cover during this episode. This is a an emotional episode for me, as I told you, and the reason being my parents, my grandparents, and my great-grandparents all were Cuban, with the exception of... Uh, one great-grandfather, which was actually born in Spain. But he uh, lived in Cuba, and he would die in Cuba. So my roots are there. The anguish of my parents I carry. And th everything that they were inspired, that inspired them to come to this country was part of my upbringing, and that's what I want to share today. How do you get in contact with us? It's real easy. RaiderCop.com takes you to our audio section podcast where you can hear episodes number one all the way to two, three, nine. And uh, RaiderCopNation.com takes you to the official website where you can get more information about us, upcoming shows, and so forth. Of course, you can always Reach our podcast wherever you get your podcast. And social media, look us up, Raider Cop, Raider Cop Podcast, or Raider Cop Nation. You will find us. But don't look for us on the Little Bird Twitter or LinkedIn because we got rid of that garbage a long time ago. We are going to jump right into living in the Bolshevik states of woke. As you know and I know, this is not the high point of the episodes because I'm going to have to give you three miserable stories living in the Bolshevik states of woke. So without any further ado, it's time to get our bipolar uncle up on the stage. Tasha called the servants of the mental with her bipolar uncle, uh, bipolar... Our first story takes us with our bipolar Uncle Joe to the little tiny, tiny town hall meeting he had recently for 90 minutes of complete anguish, not only for the tiny crowd that was witnessing this babbling circus that was happening in front of them, but to those that were tuned in on television and CNN with very, very low ratings as well. Uncle Joe babbled on and on, not making any intelligent sentences whatsoever and losing in the middle of the conversation a sentence, an entire topic would just leave the stage completely leaving the host, the lemon man, to try to fill in the blanks for Uncle Joe. 
it was said. And whoever the handlers are for Uncle Joe, Barry, they need to really consider putting Joe out in public because he's trying now to get cute. Remember the whisper, but the whisper went away now because somebody said, hey, look, that's creepy. Just knock that whisper stuff off. Now he's trying to be cute with jokes. And the jokes are inappropriate, not by what he says, but when he says it. It's like a comedian delivering punchline in the wrong place. Our second story is a gift that Uncle Joe wrapped up in a pretty little box with a bow on it and gave to Russian President Putin recently, and that was the Nord Stream 2. Gave it to him regardless of what was happening in the world. It was to the horror of, of course, Ukraine. Well, let, me, let me read you one of the headlines uh, from uh, foreignpolicy.com. It says, his support for the pipeline abandoned the bipartisanship and that had been established prior, uh, got nothing in return, and made the world less secure. And all that Uncle Joel did before lunch. He left everybody hanging because deals had been made on not giving Russia this. And it's thrown everybody off because everybody's trying to figure out what the mystery with Putin and Russia now giving them this huge cash cash cow that Russia's going to have. All the while, he suspends our own pipeline so Americans can pay more at the pump. Folks, you can't make this up. And nobody understands what's going on because the puppeteer who's pulling the strings has not explained it. Our third story is another bewilderment of Uncle Joe in action where human rights have been invited to the United States of America so they can rate us on racism. And... Joe, with open arms, is welcoming the United Nations. You don't think that they're going to come here and call us all a bunch of bigots, do you? No, they would never do that. And this is another thing that people just scratch their heads and say, what in the world is he doing? And the second question they say, how in the hell did he ever get elected? But, of course, we talked about it over and over again it's time now for the joke of the week so we can perk you up a little bit i know those stories were a little depressing there is nothing good when you look at the bolshevik states of woke so here we go here's our joke of the week as henry the ape said to each one of his six wives i won't keep you long all right. Like I like I always said, you want me to be the punching bag? Go ahead. I'm the punching bag. Today's episode 239, Freedom, is an episode that's very passionate to my heart. And why is it passionate? Because of the struggle of my parents. So me getting this message out to those that don't understand the plight of the Cuban people is my mission. Hey, there's a lot of things happening in the world. The poor Australians are down down under being enslaved and imprisoned over some stupidity with the COVID and the masking and the locking of doors. And they're just not only psychologically torturing people, but they're also what they're doing. Most importantly is that they're slowly taking away their civil rights. 
So they're down there fighting. There are a lot of people in the world fighting where they might have not been in that position several years ago. They are now. So evil is slowly creeping up on us all. So with that being said, it's time for starting up the clowns. We'll wait for the clown to let me know that they're ready. But understand that when that bus stops, we can't stop. There you heard it. He's ready. Episode 239, Freedom, we are going to get started. We got a lot on the agenda. Let me, let me go over the agenda for you so you know what the subject matter is. Number one, what is freedom? Number two, why freedom? Number three, history of Cuba. Number four, who are Cubans? Number five, heroes of the world. That's going to be an interesting one. Number six, why are the young in Cuba asking for freedom. Number seven, why is the world silent on the Cuban people? Number eight, Black Lives Matter talking out of school. And number nine, the hypocrisy of the left. So as you can see, we got a lot on the agenda and we're not going to waste any time. Freedom, freedom is defined, at least by me. I'm not going to look it up with Webster because Webster can't know anything. You got to have a little brains on your shoulder once in a while also. But freedom is the liberty to carry out your God-given rights without prosecution, without being inhibited, censored, or stopped. Freedom is the ability and the liberty to move from place to place. Freedom is the right to assemble. Freedom is the right to have a voice in society. We could be here all day defining what freedom is, but I can tell you what freedom is in Cuba, not existent. So anything, just a morsel of what I've said, would make them feel freedom. Because today, and for the last 62 years, they don't know what it is. Why freedom? Why do we yearn freedom? Why did the forefathers of this country, and to the chagrin of many communists around the world, and especially in America, why did they yearn to be free? Why did they write the Declaration of Independence? Why did they create the Constitution? Why is our Republic standing today still? And it was for the mere fact that everybody on that journey was not looking for a place to hang their hat, or real estate, land, gold, fortunes. They yearned one thing, freedom. And especially freedom of religion. But all the other freedoms that they could not have where they came from. That's how the United States of America was formed. The history of Cuba could be lengthy, and this is going to be a very short version. But as many people know that Cuba was a colony of the Spanish crown, 
and discovered by Colon, Christopher Columbus, and it would evolve as an important place for the Spanish Empire. Cuba would be developed uh, strategically and tactically for the Spanish crown. Cuba was one of those ports of call where riches were weighed, and there's where you get peso, which means weight, and which is translated into money. And then it was the goods would have to be recorded, would be shipped out. Cuba was one of those ports of call in the New World. It held a special place for the Spaniards for whatever logistical reason. But the Spaniards, Cuba would be one of the last countries in the New World that they would hang on to for dear life. We're not going to get into dates and, and, and those historical for lack of time, but the Cuban people and a lot of Spaniards would join that effort of independence because the Spanish crown had been overseer of Cuba for over 300 years up to that point. And many that were even Spaniards and grew up in Cuba and had children in Cuba and grandchildren, and they evolved there they also yearned to be free. It should also be noted that the Spanish crown with you know, the New World would bring a lot of Spaniards to work in these new lands based on their experience in Spain. So if the specific country in the New World was very mountainous, they would look for Spaniards in Spain that came from mountainous regions. So it would be easier for the Spanish crown. Cuba was one of those places where they, diag they diagnosed the area of the Canary Islands. So those individuals from the Canary Islands would be transported by ship to Cuba in work for the Spanish crown. The people that came from the Canary Islands, Los Canarios, that's what they were, we would be called, brought a special dialect to the Spanish language and that form of speaking would be a part of Cuba, Dominican Republic, Puerto Rico, and Venezuela. They all had different accents, but a lot of similar words. And that is because it came from the Canary Islands. So that's the historical rule. You go into the in War of Independence, and a lot of fighters in the War of Independence, some were Spaniards that would cross over and believe in that fight, but many were of African descent. And the reason for that was they had been slaves and they were fighting for freedom, permanent freedom. At the time, many of them, because slavery in Cuba was slowly rolled out, it was pretty much kept under wraps even after it was declared that it was unconstitutional to have slaves. It was slowly eliminated town by town, reading the edict of the king through the the square, the town square. And the reason for that is because they had to continue the sugar industry. 
So through that war of independence raised an army of people from Cuba. The indigent people from Cuba were not necessarily Indian, Indians. Now, they did exist, but they were the minority. It was Cubans that were mixed. They were either mestizo, white mixed with Indian, or uh, they were mixed black and white. And mulatto would be the term used. And then again, there were the Europeans that were Spaniards that fought in those wars of independence. The outcry was tremendous. And the Cuban people through the army that they created, Mambis, they fought the 10-year war all alone, all by themselves against the Spanish crown before Teddy Roosevelt started uh, coming over San Juan Hill with his bugle. Now, the Americans played a role, but they actually came in towards the end of that long war. And as a result, the Spaniards left. They were at the end of their line anyway. They left. It was the last country in the New World that they were in control of, and they would end up leaving. And then there was that period where the Americans just wouldn't leave. You ever have a house guest go to your house, and you look at the time, you go, geez, getting a little late. And thought starts crossing your mind, what time are they leaving? And you see them getting a little bit more comfortable on the sofa, and then uh, one will look at the other and go, do you have anything else to drink? So you're in for the long haul. Well, that's what the Americans were doing in Cuba right after the War of Independence. They were getting really comfortable. They got really comfortable over in Puerto Rico. Now, the peace treaty between the United States and Spain spelled out three areas that Spain would give up territorial rights, that being Puerto Rico, Cuba, and the Philippines. In Puerto Rico, the Americans got so comfortable, they're still there. And Cuba was a different animal because it had an overwhelming population of Africans that were slaves at one point, and all of a sudden, they were questioning whether they were really free or not. So, the long story short is that the United States of America decides to leave the island of Cuba. It creates this treaty. Way we can come back and do whatever we want on the island of Cuba. If, if, uh, shift policy policies, or we can just come back. And the reason that they left is because the media started portraying the United States of America fighting or the resistance to America would be these freed slaves. And it, it read real bad in the press and they decided to, you know what, let's go somewhere else. And they left. We were going to the banana republics, one behind the other. And the reason for that is you had a country that never governed itself. Finally, after 300 years, one of the countries that helped you out in your, your day of independence decides not to leave, and I'm leaving, and I'm here, and I'm going. Okay, I'm left. And then all of a sudden, they just say, okay, bye, you got this. And so the roller coaster ride of trying to figure out what to do. And as a result, that would bring in a lot of corruption. We're going to go into now Florencio Batista, which was a sergeant in the army. And his influence was at first minimal. 
you know. But there was other things that still existed at that time in 1933 in what they called the Sergeant Revolt that still existed. For example, the vast majority of generals in the military were of Spanish descent. And for Henshaw Batista was mestizo. He was mixed. And as a result, they didn't feel freedom just yet because Spanish influence was still there. Now, there is no doubt that the dictatorships of Batista was something that the Cuban people at the time wanted to stop. They were tired of the corruption. But at the same time, the most prosperous era of the Cubans were under Batista. Yes, it's easy to say, well, Fidel came into power because of Batista. But they would have, if there wasn't a Batista, it was only going to be somebody else. Because communism was coming one way or another. What happened in this situation was that Batista chose not to fight. And when he departs Cuba, it's because the treachery of a lot of people in his government, the treachery of a lot of soldiers in his army, and the treachery of the United States of America, which never formally backed them up against the rebels in the mountains. Because you see, in this country, in the United States of America, the beginning and the booming of the communist influence was there. It was starting. And so nobody had a lot of fire in their hearts to free Cuba of anything. As a result, Batista said there's nothing to fight for. He had outdated weapons, and he was always losing in the media against the rebels. It's a well-known fact that during the Civil War of the United States, the Confederacy had sent a letter to Abraham Lincoln, president at the time, to annex Cuba. The Confederacy wanted Cuba desperately, not only because of its ports and they could build um, through the Florida Straits, they could control it, and of course they can put naval ships there but they were mostly wanted it because the Spanish crown still had slavery and so they could always point to me <laughs> the king he hasn't taken it away so they wanted Cuba of course Abraham Lincoln said no and as we know it never became part of that dream for the Confederacy. So now we transition. Bautista's out. He gets on a plane. Fidel comes in. He has lied to the Cuban people. He, There are even videotapes that we will place one on the show notes where he openly says, I am not a communist. But everybody in Washington and the intelligence community knew he was a communist because that's what the intelligence reports were. They were being funded by communists. But it was not what Fidel wanted. The one that wanted communism was Raul Castro, his little brother, and Che, Che Guevara, the Argentinian. The Argentinian, because that's another misgiving. A lot of supporters of Che think he's Cuban. He's not Cuban, he's Argentinian. And he was a big communist and he had the connections. So as, as a result, they get into power. And because of the will 
of the dictator, which is Batista, was not, I'm not going to fight him. I'm just leaving with millions. And he, that's what he did. So you can't criticize him for staying, and I don't know how you can criticize him for leaving. But the bottom line is the bearded wonder takes over. And all of a sudden, it is a love courtship like never before seen in the history of the world. And we'll get into that in a minute. So who are Cubans? Cubans, as I said, Indian, Black, European background, Chinese, huge community of Chinese, Arabs. During the Second World War, many Lebanese would set ships and sail because they had no place to go during the Second World War. And Batista would take them in to Cuba. They are Arab descent, Jewish descent. There are many, many Cuban Jews. Many escaped Cuba and came to America, or they went somewhere else. Many got stuck in Cuba. But the Cuban, the Jewish influence in the Cuban community is pretty large. And there's a melting pot like you really won't see in any other country. A lot of people would migrate to Cuba during the First and Second World War, and they were accepted in Cuba with open arms. So we know the diversity of the people. So who are these heroes that the world is in love with? We mentioned two of them. Che and Fidel. They could do no wrong. But as I once asked somebody in a conversation, can you name any of those rebels of the revolution that were with Fidel that are alive today? And of course, the answer was only one, his brother Raul. The rest were all dead. And the vast majority of the dead were killed by him, including Che. Che was fleeing for his life when he was told to go to Bolivia because he knew Fidel was fed up with him. And um, the tipping off of the CIA, of course, is of great debate, but nevertheless, there is no more check. Camilo Sinfuego, another war hero, that the people of Cuba in 1959, 1960, they loved him. He wasn't a communist. He had many conversations with other military leaders saying, what's the story about communism? Because he had never heard it up until they took power because Raul and Che were the moving factors towards communism. See, Raul wanted to be federalista, that everybody believes in his Fidel movement. But you can't have a movement with no money. So as a result, you can't go to America and ask, hey, you know, all bygones aside, you think you'll lend us a couple of billion dollars? They only had one cash cow in town, and that was the communist of the Soviet Union. So Fidel went along with it. Because at the end of the day, it was all about Fidel. It wasn't about the communists. Fidel did as he pleased. He said, Fidelista. That's what that meant. But the Russians, they played Raul, I mean, uh, Fidel pretty good too. They told him, well, we can envision your vision in Las America, all these Spanish countries here. And so they gave something for Fidel to serve. They would also tell him in uh, 1974 or 75 to attack uh, 
a region of Africa called Angola, for their independence against Portugal and get rid of Portugal. And they instilled communism there, which still exists today. Today, Angola has a lot of Cubans that own property there. How about that? Maybe it was a reward for what they had done in Angola. Fidel was sent in 1975 36,000 troops, and in 1988, when his troops would leave, they were 60,000 strong. The Cubans would learn combat. The Russians would, well, the Soviet Union would give them military advisors. And Fidel was preparing his army for bigger things. But Uncle Sam wasn't totally asleep. And so it would be a little bit more difficult for Fidel and Raul just to conquer the Americas just because they had a little bit of war experience. So we've looked at what freedom is. We've looked at the history of Cuba. Who are the Cubans? We talked about these two heroes. Now the question is, why are these young people in Cuba yearning for freedom? Well, it's simple. Number one, the story that I just told you about the history of Cuba, Cuba is a fairy tale to them. It's like if I would take a group of fourth graders and put them around in a circle in a classroom and let's talk about George Washington and the Battle of Independence. Yeah, okay. All right, you get all the facts down, but it doesn't mean anything. It happened so long ago. Well, Fidel didn't mean anything to them either, and it still doesn't today. In fact, in listening to a lot of what they're saying, that's what they're saying. Fidel is dead. Why do you keep on bringing up his name? Or well, they'll say, that was the error of my grandparents. Who cares? They yearned to be free. Now, we're going to go into a little controversial area with the blockade. We're going to tell you who's really blockading who. And we're going to talk about Obama. Because what Obama did on the way out of his presidency was spiteful and evil towards Cuban Americans by reinstalling relations with Cuba. But it was also a great sinister plot for the intelligence community in America. You see, when I give you something, then I take it away. Now you know the value of what I gave you. So all along, while the Cuban people were being pretty much slaves to communism since 1959. They never had anything as the years go by like the world had. So you don't miss it if you don't have it. But once you have it, now you know the value of it. And so they got on this thing called social networking and it boomed. The young took to technology. And, and let me just say this, very poor technology. You can't compare that technology that they have with ours. You know, they were, they're probably about 10, 15 years behind that, you know, our technology. But at the same time, it was enough. Instagram and YouTube and all this stuff and how they communicated and rap music came into play and Christian music as well and they started to create lyrics in rap music that they could communicate with the youth about the world that they never existed in and what it meant for them which was nothing and slowly, the voice started to rap about having an open mind, about having ideas, about developing your talents, 
and that ball, that snowball started rolling and rolling and getting bigger until it turned into the outcries that you hear today on the streets. I believe we're on day 15 now. Libertad, liberty. The one rap song that they created called Patria y Vida, translated in English, it's homeland and life. Patria y Muerte was a saying that the communist and Fidel Castro came up, came up with homeland or death. They changed that to homeland and life. They don't want to die. They want to live. Because even that they're alive, they've never lived. And how do they know the difference? How do they know how to live? Because they're seeing the world through their eyes on social media. So Barack giving them that tool and I'm sure that in the future if Cuba and when Cuba falls I'm sure they'll be the first to say if it wasn't for Barack's idea of giving them but it was a sinister plot when President Trump came in he stopped the production lines in Cuba It is no secret that several years ago, Raul Castro, after Fidel's death, he was on a little bit of thin ice. Now, of course, he had the ability to scare the multitude of Cubans in the military, just like his brother, which Fidel had a charisma that he scared the crap out of mostly everybody in the 60s and the 70s and the 80s just with his presence, right? But Raul was always the second fiddle, the, the little munchkin behind Big Brother. And so when Fidel dies, Raul has to fill the, that big gap. But nevertheless, a lot of the community in Cuba said... We're not going to fold our cards just yet. We're going to hold our cards. We're going to hold the deck. Because he can't be around that long. And then Raul started to have a little bit more difficulty in dealing with high-ranking military. He was getting up in age. He knew... He was just one bullet in the head away from disappearing. So he made a deal with a lot of the elites in Cuba. From the rank of colonel and above, they would get the economy of Cuba. Of course, Raul would get some pretty big hefty envelopes. But hotels, the tourist industry... Everything, every dollar that was circulating in Cuba would belong to these people. This would keep the power going. But if you can't see, if you can't notice, it's still temporary. It's only a band-aid over a huge wound. Raul finally gives the presidency to the putts that we have in the Cuban government. Diaz Canel today is a putz. He's a do boy of the Castro brothers. So he was. Hugo Chavez in Venezuela appointed his good buddy Maduro, that supposedly was a taxi driver, another knucklehead. So why do they why do these communists keep on putting up knuckleheads? Because knuckleheads are too stupid to seek freedom. And what they've created will continue to be in place because these idiots that had nothing will bask now in, in their kingdom and they'll hold the force. But if I give it to somebody with half a brain, they go, hey, we can go 
we can be a democracy and I could still be in church. So these knuckleheads don't take power. As a result, today in Cuba, there's a bitter fight over this monetary issue ever since Trump pulled the plug on all of it. The envelopes are a lot smaller. The corruption's a lot more difficult. You've got colonels that don't have vehicles. They can't move. They don't have luxuries because what was financing them was the economy of the country. So the young people are yearning for freedom because now's the time in history to do it. Not only is it tactically sound to do it in the middle of one administration to the other, to the other, because everybody knows when Fidel turned power to Raul, that was make-believe. As long as Fidel was breathing, he was in charge. He's just not, you wouldn't see him every day. But a lot of people don't know Cuba. Fidel retired. Fidel never retired. Never retired. Fidel and Raul did not have the most cozy of relationships. You could pretty much say that Raul existed because Fidel recognized him as his brother. Because if he wasn't his brother, he wouldn't be around. But even for Raul to see his brother, he needed an appointment. And he was told that he had to provide the agenda and they would tell him how long he could stay. Widely known. So the issue of the Castro brothers is a delicate one. But it's one that the young people of Cuba don't care about. It's an old story. Nobody cares anymore. So they earn, they yearn for freedom more than ever. Why is the world silent over Cuba? We're on day 15, and slowly we're starting to hear a little chattering here, a little chattering over there from governments about what's going on on the island. But no United Nations, no... other countries unifying to put an end to the savagery that you can see on video feed. Now, slowly, these countries now are making small little comments. But the reason that they haven't come out full-fledged and supporting the protesters is because You see, they all feel that this is just a momentary thing. Order will be instilled in Cuba. They will be enslaved again, the Cuban people. And they don't want to be on the bad side of that and piss off the Cuban government. So they act like they don't see anything. They're blind. They're deaf. They're mute. Because it's expedient for them. Part of that silence of the world is President Joe Biden. He sanctioned where sanction was already in place. Therefore, he's done nothing. Today, I read an article in the Mexican press where the president of Mexico is urging President Biden, now is the time to remove the 62-year-old embargo. The pressure's starting to happen. The phone's lighting up at the White House. It ain't the Cuban-Americans. It's the one with the... It's the guys with the green barrettes are calling. Joe's about to fold. Black lives talking out of school. Recently, and it's been in the past, when Fidel died, Black Lives Matter uh, sent out a tweet about how saddened they were of the death of El Comandante. And 
recently they came out in support of the communist regime in Cuba by blasting the United States and saying, remove that embargo. Forget about that the majority of blacks in Cuba are the ones that are being arrested. The majority of the demonstrators out in the streets are black. The majority of the oppressed in Cuba are black. The raptors, the rap musicians that created the songs in resistance are black. None of that is important to Black Lives Matter. And that's the point I'd like to get across, especially with my good friends here. I'm going to get a little bit off subject. We're going to get into American policing today. Now, I understand the plight of African-Americans and law enforcement and that struggle. The issue with being in a minority and being stopped by police officers. What I have a problem is the interjections of those sentences. For example, white police officers against black subjects. Why do we have to put colors on people? Why don't you say police against this community or this section of town? We always got to do the left's bidding by putting people in small little color-coordinated boxes. So with that being said, I am a vocal critic of the people that have risen to be leaders in the cry for justice for African Americans in America because they are themselves shady. Now, speaking of shady, let's just get to the elephant in the room, and that's Shady himself, Al Shady Slim Sharpton. Self-appointed leader. Every time there's trouble, there he is. Shady Slim Sharpton. And Black Lives Matter. They've embraced a group of leaders that have formed this organization under Marxist principles. And I feel sorry for them. But get yourself somebody that's a little bit more eloquent, more intelligent, that doesn't stand against hate, and project that voice loud and firm. You get a whole lot of people behind your cause. But Marxists? That's the best you can do. Known Marxists. Haters of America. Affiliations with the Black Panthers. Cop killers. Come on. This is what is representing your outcry? With all the African-American attorneys? This is what you get? Race hustlers. That's where we differ. So Black Lives Matter has been talking out of school because they're not looking at the plight of the black Cuban. They don't care, and they're pretty much shitting on the whole thing. It's all about enriching themselves. Now, with that being said, you know and I know the story with the leaders of Black Lives Matter buying real estate and so forth, but let me stop you there. Let's get back into Cuba. What if I told you that the family members of all these military generals and stuff like that, or Raul's grandson, and these people flying around, they're in yachts, 
They are living the life. Champagne. Traveling through Europe. Setting up shop in America. Yeah, they own businesses in America. In Panama, too. The money is gushing in. And it's blood money. It's freedom money. Another hypocrisy of the communist. You know, we have ours. Bernie. Yeah. Old man Bernie. Everybody loves Bernie. All the Bernie bros, they love him. But he lives in a mansion and has expensive cars. All hypocrisy. Because communism is not about distributing wealth. It's about controlling everything. And making yourself more powerful than what you are. And of course, with power comes money. So Black Lives Matter, they're talking out of school. They should get educated on what's going on in Cuba. They should be embarrassed of themselves. Recently on Facebook, I've plastered on all over Facebook, uh, war heroes of the independence of Cuba. They're all black. They had ranks of generals because they they yearn for that freedom and that's why they fought against the Spaniards. Black lives don't care nothing about that. Or that Fidel Castro himself in 60 years, 62 years of power only had one black in a cabinet position. One. Uno for our bilingual families out there. Uno. So that tells you everything. Where's the outcry about that? Nah, there's no outcry. That's okay. As long as uh, Fidel keeps on uh, moving the, the sickle. That's what it's all about. Moving their cause. That's what it's all about. The last out, uh, outline we have here is the hypocrisy of the left, and we did talk about the riches of the left. But the other hypocrisy is they think they're better than those people that are yearning for freedom and yelling for freedom. They think they're better than those people that want to talk about the United States Constitution. They know better. They have weaponized themselves with cancel culture. Other of these communist little plots. They have scared the media. They have scared big corporations. They are shaking down everybody into fear that their way is the right way. If you ever talk to a Russian that lived the Soviet bloc or Polish or any of those Soviet countries, they have a name for these type of people. And what they call them is useful idiots. They're useful idiots. They will lay down in front of a train because they believe in a system in communism even though they will be the first victim as soon as communists take position. Ex-Fidel, he'll tell you, he got rid of all the guys around him. There's no shared wealth. There's complete control. There's not a a group control. There's a me control in communism. The world is in love with this fascination of socialism, which is really masquerading as communism. And they believe that we can do it better. Even though it's a failed society, it's just it's a, a failed theory in every society it's touched. I want to close with the emotional aspect of this podcast. 
My parents and my grandparents would die in this country. Today, the day that I am doing this episode, the 26th of July, is the 39th anniversary of my mother's death. They would die in this country, their adopted country, that I could never repay. I don't have enough to repay this country for taking us in. I would be born in this country. I would be born in New York City. And I would learn of my heritage through my parents and my grandparents. I would see and experience their yearning for freedom and their struggle to continue freedom. My dad would go on to bring in over 17 family members from Cuba to America from the time he arrived in the 60s. As a little boy, I remember traveling with my parents to Canada and Spain because you could not claim somebody to come from Cuba directly from the United States. It had to be through a third country. So endless times that we would go there. The amount of money effort that had to be placed to get them. And my parents would little to no language. My dad would come to this country early on in the early end of the late 60s, early oh, 19, late 60, early 61. And my dad was a captain in Batista's military, assigned to the military corps, to the uh, hospital corps. But my dad, like so many others, they started bringing out the firing squad. He had to go. And through the aid and assistance of my grandfather, his father, he was, my dad was snuck out of the country. He went from Cuba to Jamaica, from Jamaica, the plane landed in Miami. My dad told me that when he got to Miami, the Federal Bureau of Investigation uh, were waiting for him there. They questioned him for several hours over his identity and all that. The bottom line is the United States government didn't really care. Like my dad said, I was over six. My dad let, died August 5th of 2020. We're coming up on that one year of his death. But my dad would say, over 60 years I've been in this country and the federal government never talked to me about how I got into the country because they had told my dad back then, we'll, we'll be in contact with you again. They never did. Why? They didn't care. They didn't care. But my dad escaped and uh, bringing many of my relatives over, my grandparents, but many got stuck on the other side. The separation of families is horrible. And I'm going to close with this. You might remember back in Bill Clinton's administration, the little boy that was rescued at sea, Elian Gonzalez. And the Clinton administration's position at the time was, no, 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 that little boy needs to be with his father. We don't want to separate him. And the authorities in Miami didn't want to cooperate with their immigration officials, and then they busted into the house of the relatives that the little boy was staying in and forcefully grab him, take him, and they ship him back to Cuba where today he's a full-fledged communist. And then you see today unaccompanied children crossing the border, coming into America, but there's no democratic outcry about, no, 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 they need to be reunited with their parents. The hypocrisy of the left is awful. It's hurtful. It's evil. What's up next? Episode 240, Fire Suppressor. 
we're going to talk about the deadly silence that everybody's scared of and how useful or non-useful it is with firearms. We're going to end with the word of the week. I told you now that that's the new lineup. We'll, we'll end up um, every segment with the word of the week at the end. So here we go from the book of Psalms 146 chapters chapter 146 verse 7 who executes justice for the oppressed who gives food to the hungry the Lord gives freedom to the prisoners as always it is my honor and pleasure to be your host on Radio Cop Podcast continue to pray for yourself because without you in the game we have nothing continue to pray for your family your community, for the law enforcement agencies that serve you. And remember, continue to pray for the United States of America. I hear the sirens. It's time to go.